Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. Uh, As we approach the Christmas season, thought in the festive spirit, we would have a conversation about how churches like ours at Southridge and uh, hopefully churches uh, all across Canada and even North America are approaching this Christmas season from a good friend of mine and church leader that I think does this as well as anybody. So I want to welcome to our podcast for the first time, uh, Rob Hogendorn from Forest City Community Church in London. Rob, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing just great, Jeff. Thank you. It's nice to be on your podcast here. Uh, we're going to get into all kinds of our relationship and all that in a moment, but to just orient yourself or to orient our, our listeners with yourself, just just give us kind of the couple minute, uh, you know, what's going on in your world, your background, talk about your church, family, all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I was uh, born and raised in the Toronto area, and uh, then I, you know, ultimately had a call from God at some point in my right around 20 years old. Uh, I really met Jesus profoundly when I was about 12, and that sort of changed the direction of my life. And it embedded in me, I would say, even I would say at the moment, I really experienced Jesus and embedded in me deeply a desire to help as many people as I can in my life experience the same reality of this this, this real person of Jesus who has sort of invaded my life. So that sort of, that kind of started in my life quite early. Then I became a pastor and uh, after doing a church, leading a church out in BC, my first one, you know, making a lot of mistakes, learning on the job, uh, I, my wife and I moved back to Ontario in the mid 90s. And with this dream of starting a brand new church, primarily for people who did not go to church or had stopped going to church. And so in the mid 90s, we started Forest City Community Church here in London and um, have been at that really for the last 28 years. Uh, It's been an amazing, amazing journey. Um, uh, It's been wonderful and difficult, but we have seen a lot, a lot, a lot of people find uh, the same thing that I found when I was a kid, and that is this transforming experience and relationship with uh, the Savior of the world, with Jesus. And so, yeah, so we raised our family here. I got four kids. And uh, now they're they're into their early adulthood, and I have just started. I've become a grandfather uh, multiple times now, and I am uh, I'm loving loving that season of life as well. Didn't you say say to me the other day you've got eight grandkids under eight years old? That's exactly the case. Oh, my that's oldest, the best. My oldest one is eight, and the youngest one is about two months old. And you are right; it is it's the best. It's such a fantastic stage to have you know, kids around you that think you are just the best. I'm not sure what to make of the church leader who makes all the mistakes in their first church to go and then kind of do it right the second time because I'm still <laughs> pastoring my first church and I'm, I'm sure our people would have a, a few things to say about that. So I'm sure they would. I'll just leave that there. <laughs> That's great. Um, what else can you tell us about Forest City? Yeah, so Forest City Community Church, it, it is, like I said there, it is a church that was birthed with this very, very distinct vision of being a church that is, first of all, not exclusively, 
but first of all, with its primary orientation toward the unconvinced. And uh, so I'd say at the very beginning, we started at a very interesting beginning. And I would say in the, even from the earliest days, I'd say 85% of our attending community were people who did not have much of a church background at all. So those of us who were like me, I had a church background. I grew up in a Christian family, uh, surrounded by Christians, but I grew up in a church environment where the, the church people were the majority always. And then once in a while you go, oh my goodness, there's a new person. There's somebody who, who, who doesn't have a church orientation. Um, from the very beginning, Forest City was kind of the opposite of that. And I would say, even though it's not an 85%, 15% split anymore, it's probably 50-50. 50% probably had a some kind of a stronger church background, whether it was Catholic or Protestant, uh, some form of evangelical, whatever or not, and at least half would say not. Um, the church has also started, obviously, as it's matured, it's grown into its expressions of the Christian gospel beyond just personally introducing people to Jesus. Uh, we've tried to build strong Christian community. We've tried to become a church that cares for our city in unique, profound ways. Uh, we've tried to become a church that can, is concerned for uh, certain parts of our world that are really needing the gospel as well and the hope of Jesus in, in its sort of wide reach in terms of both word and deed. Um, so we've got, um, we've got some beautiful partnerships like with World Vision in Africa and uh, with Global Leadership Network uh, in terms of some of the work that's being done to equip leaders in different parts of the world as well. So uh, that's a little bit about the vibe of Forest City Community Church. Knowing that you hang with other pastor buddies, I don't know if I'm one of them, but we'll, we'll just, I know that you hang with them. Uh, and you're talking church with all these pastor buddies. What is it that you feel like in relation to them that is unique about your ministry or about Forest City as a community? Um. I mean, this is a bit of an, an extrapolation of what I just said, but I would say the distinction is, or what's a little unique is, I tried to what we used to call transition a church, uh, more of a traditional church, to a more outreach post postured church uh, in my first uh, ministry experience. And I, I would say I failed pretty miserably. And that has always given me incredible respect for pastors who that's their setting. They're trying to take a historic Christian community, but move, help it move beyond what was fantastic in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or whatever, and try to increasingly make it adaptable to not just its own constituency and the, the next generation within it, but towards what is our increasingly secular uh, com, uh, you know, society that we live in, in, in Canada and to, to a growing degree in the United States. Um, I sort of was able to do that without having to transition. I was able to just sort of come in there at ground level and it created all kinds of unique problems for all of those of you who are involved in, or, or know of people who are church planters or are involved in the church plant. There's a lot of beautiful, beautiful advantages to that there's a lot of challenges to it. So it's it's just a different kind of a challenge, but that I, I think would probably be the most unique sort of distinction that I find between myself and most pastors uh, of my pastor friends, because most of them, um, yeah, most of them have, 
have not been the ones who sort of laid out the architecture uh, for what they're doing. They're trying to adjust it, change it, improve it. Yeah, it's a great comment of context because I mean, I've known you for who oh, it's over two decades at this point that you and I was very new in ministry life. And I mean, you've been a good friend, uh, encourager of me and of Southridge, uh, and certainly even a mentor uh, personally. And, and as a church leader, don't know if you want to get blamed for that, but uh, it's, it's in, in where Forest City is at today, you would rarely look at Rob Hogendorn and see church planter. And yet that, that's actually your heart and kind of where this comes from. And so it's, it's important context uh, to remember as we're, even as we're having the conversation we're going to today. A uh, couple more questions just on the, the local church thing. Like uh, as a church leader, what, what do you enjoy the most about local church work? Um, that's a great question. I mean, I, I still, I still love to preach. Unlike you, Jeff, I love to preach. I'm just kidding, of course, but it is still it is still a big part of what I do. I certainly I don't preach as much as I used to, and I'm trying to obviously we're growing other people, but I do have incredible joy in the wonder of actually uh, having people be at church either online or in the room, and actually with some level of expectation, whether they're a Christian or whether they're not Christian, actually a level of expectation that what I'm going to say that comes essentially out of this book, the, the scriptures, has, has transformative power and relevance for their life right now. Uh, that to me is, I, I just, that would be a huge, that, I still love that. Um, I would say I love working with leaders. I love working with the leaders in our church. And I also love... I love being around when, when an individual life is radically changed. And, um, you know, when you're in a bigger church as we are, you often see almost like the 30,000 foot level of what's going on in the life of the church. Uh, but I still continue to probably find the most joy when I, when I have those moments to be up close and personal. Um, and it, it might be in a moment of, you know, seeing somebody, you know, really get the gospel for the first time and become a follower of Jesus. It could be somebody who has a profound healing moment when people came around them and brought joy and restoration to their life. Uh, it could be a moment of seeing a leader go from a very elementary level and, and then start really doing beautiful things on a bigger scope. But I would say sort of trying to stay somewhat close to the some of those one on the, the, the life by life experience of people, that's probably what I enjoy the most. Hmm. I know that in our day and age, probably in a growing way from when I first started in ministry and certainly from when you first started in ministry, uh, there seems to be more and more people giving up on the church. Uh, you know, yeah. they call them nuns and duns now and uh, that names for this. Uh, what would you say to, to, people probably not listening to the podcast, but to people who even know people uh, who are giving up on this thing called the local church. Yeah. Yeah. It's really difficult. I mean, I, when I, my thought about that goes in a, a couple of different directions. 
Um, one of them is it makes me obviously profoundly sad, um, partly because very often we sort of reflexively look at the failings of their church or the church they were part of and go, oh my goodness, that church really, you know, if they were not so backwards, if their music was better, if the preaching was better, if they, if they didn't offend them that way. Often we do reflexively do that. And sometimes that's the case. And of course, that's very sad. But I think where it's, it, it's more prob problematic in a big way is underlying it is, is sort of a, such an undeveloped ecclesiology that I think as church leaders, we've not been able to communicate clearly enough and to inculcate clearly enough in our, in our churches. In a very secular culture, we have, we have struggled with really helping people not only understand but experience what does it mean to actually be a follower of Jesus. And that is, that is something that is completely entwined in. It's not, it's not as, uh, oh, I've got an option. I can go to church as well. No, it's entwined in, in being part of this family of people that are part of the historic church of Jesus Christ. So um, I'm not sure even exactly if that's exactly address what you, you're, you're saying there or you're asking, but to me, that's where my mind goes. So whenever I see people like that, I go, yeah, sometimes it's hard because they were in a church that kind of was, was not quote unquote doing it anymore. Maybe yes, maybe no. But some of it was they were not internalizing for different reasons that the church is not fundamentally a provider of services. The church isn't fundamentally a Costco that you go to to get your spiritual needs met. And somewhere along the line, I think we as, as church leaders, we've got to figure out uh, more compelling and clear ways to get people clear about that. Hmm, that's fantastic. Uh, final orienting question, just to local church life. I've got to ask it just because everyone asks it and talks about it. Give us some high level comments on the pandemic, how that's been for you, what you've learned, just how you're feeling about how the church is navigating it. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, those are, there's a few questions in there, but what have I personally learned the most? I think I, I think if you haven't learned patience, you are really going to be struggling. Uh, I would say probably the big learning to me has been to understand a little more profoundly than I've ever understood the limitations of my leadership ability, my giftings, what I can actually accomplish. And it's, I guess it's increased my reliance on the reality that Jesus really is the one who builds his church. And, and if I've got to wait uh, while, and this is where the difficulties lie for many of us in ministry is it's been so hard because for most of us in church leadership, um, the metrics and the models of ministry that most of us have had most of our lives, all of a sudden those things were thrown out the window. And um, there's a level of patience to me that has sort of, I've struggled with and at times won the battle and at times lost the battle of trying to really trust that I can trust Jesus in this chaotic time, whether it's, whether it's two months or two years or, or longer. So uh, I, I would say that's kind of one of the things I've been learning. I've also been learning like many to try to figure out where are the opportunities that are presenting 
while we're struggling. So where we feel like we're losing traction, where do we feel like there are some new opportunities for um, engagement with our church and both internally, but also within our community and our world. Uh, so I've been trying to, I've been trying to pay attention to that. It's uh, yeah, those are, you're making a few great comments, but the, the, the one that I, I am resonating with the most is, I don't know when it happens, but I'm sure it's happened to many church leaders, hopefully in a good way where, you know, as the pandemic first hit and things were transitioning, the word was pivoting and you're no longer doing the things that you felt like you were obliged to do to build the church and, you know, reach people for Jesus and disciple them and all that. You're thinking, man, I can't do blank anymore. I can't do this anymore. I can't. And there, there was kind of a growing frustration until all of a sudden the light bulb went off and you, and you, you asked, but whose work is it to build the church anyways? And if this is, if this is the season through which Jesus is going to build his church uniquely, then I got to get with that program rather than, exactly. No, exactly. Know, rather than think that he's got to keep getting with mine. <laughs> yeah, it's totally true, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, that's a great observation. Hey, uh, I want to dig into a, a, a bunch of minutes. What, what I have observed over the last, especially the last decade, a, a real uniqueness in your ministry and at Forest City uh, right around Christmas time. I feel like Forest City Community Church has really captured what it means to make the most of the Christmas season. So uh, describe for us kind of the history and, and what it is that your church does around the Christmas season. Yeah, you know, honestly, I, we stumbled on this probably close to 20 years ago, 15 to 20 years ago. As a young church plant, we were trying to do what everybody did, and that is have a, have a beautiful Christmas Eve service and see if we can also leverage it for the receptivity of non-church people. And, and as a young church plant, we tried this for a bunch of years. And I started realizing at some point that at least as a young church, Christmas Eve was a, complete, a completely disastrous time for us to try to reach people. Because our young attending people, they would, on Christmas Eve they would all go to their parents. They would travel. They would go to their parents in Toronto or in Ottawa or whatever. They'd all head away, head back home, and they would not be really around to actually even be there or to actually be inviting other people who were doing the same thing. So we sort of looked at it and said, okay, this is not working. Um, and so at a certain point, we kind of disconnected our Christmas celebration from the actual chronology of the 24th and the 25th. And we said, well, let's find some way in the Christmas season when it's top of mind for people, but we actually have more of an audience that is still actually receptive and around. And so at a certain point we said, well, let's do something on the weekend before Christmas. And so maybe Christmas that year was a Wednesday. And we said, well, let's just, let's do a service, a special service on the weekend on this. And that's going to be our Christmas service on the Sunday or whatever. 21st or exactly exactly we backed it away from the the that epicenter of christmas eve christmas day and we did it and the first year we realized oh my goodness there was just a lot more people who were actually available within our church community to go and that actually invited and brought people along with them and so that started to evolve a little bit and so i started realizing how 
uniquely receptive people are to both invite as well as to be invited and check church out, how unique and singularly unique the opportunity is of Christmas. The best opportunity, it's not even close in our society and even in our secular Canadian society. Um, and so we started thinking about that and we started and it sort of evolved and we said, well, what if we create an event that actually sounds not just like it's something for that church? What about if we create it so that it sounds like this is for the people of our city? And so that's when I, we came up with this phrase, Christmas in the Forest City, because London is the nickname, it's, prime, it's known as the Forest City. So sort of that branding of it helped it be positioned as, oh, this is not, you know, Second Presbyterian's Christmas pageant, which is primarily for them. This is Christmas in the Forest City. So we tried it, we started to realize that. And so then what we did with that is we said, let's create a Christmas experience and, and this is an important piece. Let's create a Christmas experience that, of course, it highlights the big themes of the incarnation. It actually, I mean, it, it actually gets the power and the wonder of what Christmas is of God with us into, into the lifeblood of people. So it, 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 uh, it powerfully and unapologetically helps people understand Christmas in its, in its truest sense but we would do it in a way that is our service, but it's our service kind of on steroids. It's just a little enhanced. So we thought if we do something, we don't want to do a bait and switch. We don't want to have them come to this extravaganza. And then the next Sunday morning, the organ is playing and, you know, Susie is um, singing her solo again. We thought, no, this has got to be so that both from our, in our, our people's perspective, that is those who are inviting, they have to have confidence in this experience, but there's got to be continuity so that when people come to it, those of us at it, we know that, yes, you know, the music is just a little better today, and hopefully Rob is a little less lame today, and there's some other features, but it is essentially what we do every week. And that allowed us to get great, great traction of our, and it could mainly it's, it's I, I do radio ads and stuff like that. And that helps, but it's mainly our people who go, oh my goodness, we do, we, we want to be an inviting church. We have a high invitational culture in our church, but it's helped our people go, okay, but that's the one you can't miss. That's the best chance you're going to have. So people would invite like crazy and many people would come and and then the nice thing we were able to say is we'd be able to say to anybody who came we'd say listen we'd love for you to come back in a couple of weeks when we start a brand new series because and just so you know when you come back it's sort of like this this is basically how church at least a gathering experience of, of our church functions and somehow in that jeff uh it it, it caught fire and I remember the first few years when we were a church of two or 300 and we were like, oh my goodness, there was 800 people here. And then, you know, the church grew a bit. Oh my goodness, there was 1,500 pe people here. And then we, it just started to snowball. And last year, pre-COVID, we, we had, I think, we had almost 8,000 people. And, um, and that sort of just, that's kind of how that all went. Yeah, by, you know, over the last 10 or 15 years, you, you've grown this thing to 8,000 
you know, mostly it sounds like non-Forest City people absolutely being invited into this Christmas experience that not only leverages the the, the message of the incarnation, but I love the way you're describing it actually serves this experience it captures the the kind of i want to get into this a bit more but the 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 receptivity of people that is unique at the christmas season to springboard them into the future life of your church so so you know you're describing the confidence that your people have to have not only in the experience to invite people to, but the confidence that they've got to have that the experience is going to have enough integrity of what they'd invite people into the following week. Exactly. And, and there's got to be kind of continuity then in that confidence. There's a few, a few things there for the church leaders listening that I hope uh, we're scribbling down because you're, you're providing a few nuggets of gold there for us to, to take away and discuss with our teams. I guess that the, the, the two questions that I'd want to really drill into here on the one side would be the people getting invited, Rob. What what is it that you've discovered about the Christmas season that makes it disproportionately above any other moment or season during the year uh, receptive or ripe to capitalize on the invitation potential? Um. Uh, I mean, I, my basic sense on that is, is where we are in history, really, in a very simple way. I mean, we, even though we live in, in Canada, in a country that has, that by all definitions has secularized in astonishing ways since the 1950s and 60s, and at a greater, at a much faster pace, a much more radical way than even even our neighbors to the south in the United States, even though it's happening there. But even though that's the case, even though we went from a country that was in where in in terms of a dominant cultural worldview that used to be generically Christian up until the '60s, sometime where you know studies show that even up into the 60s like 48 percent of people in canada every week went to church they were regular church goers church goers yeah um and now of course that's plummeted down i'd be surprised if it's more than you know eight or nine percent but anyways even despite all that there is a lingering there's a lingering mystery and wonder and love for what christmas is and it represents and some of it, of course, is all mixed in and confused with, and not just Santa Claus, but a season of love and goodwill to all. But there still does actually reside in even Canadian society something of the joy and even curiosity of the historic Christmas story. Um, which is why I think, and this is kind of a bit of an interesting takeaway, so that even even when people would come to our Christmas experience, we certainly, there's beautiful creative elements. We make sure that there is often a song that's performed, for example, that shocks people that they played that in a church. We try to make a big play to show our connectivity to sort of how people are experiencing life if they had, you know, completely outside of the Christian environment. But at the same time, we also inject, we'll do a carol or two, because there's, there is still in our, in our society sort of a, a nostalgic love for some of these historic 
elements of the Christmas reality and what it means for people. So um, that might change, might change in 30 or 50 years. It hasn't changed yet. As a matter of fact, I would also say this, that because I have, a, of course, like you, I have a lot of uh, good pastor friends and colleagues in the United States, and I lived there for seven years. Interesting to me, um, the I think the strongest invitational moment in American culture often is Easter. And it's my American friends are often surprised when I tell when I tell them how much more powerful Christmas is for Canadians. So that's just those are just some of my observations for for whatever reason with our secularized culture. There's a there's an intrigue. There really is. And when people know that there's going to be beautiful music involved, people love music. Yeah, so those of us, I mean, forget the, the church leaders who are tracking with this, just the, the, the Southridge members listening in on this to appreciate that, you know, kind of the service on steroids approach uh, that still is pretty consistent with what we experience week to week has receptivity as, as disproportionately secularized as the Christmas season is, at least in our context here in Southern Ontario or Canada, um, there is also a spiritual nostalgia or a spiritual Absolutely. receptivity at the same time and to have confidence in that. Because my, my follow-up question then, we're going to wrap up soon, but my, my follow-up question would be uh, for your church, Rob, what has had to happen in them to leverage the invitational power of this experience? Um, I, I, I mean, I, I honestly, I, that's a, what I'm going to say is kind of simple, but it, it it belies, I think, a lot that has actually taken shape in the formation of our church's culture. Um, but I think if you build into your culture a deep sense with some regularity, that is that, hey, let's never forget that we actually possess the the best message and the best hope that anybody in our world uh, could receive. Let's never forget that. And let's never forget that Jesus is passionately interested in those people, family, friends, neighbors, colleagues, who are right now not dialed into him. Um, and he does. He loves them. He wants them in his family. So I think when that message is is consistent, which is sort of a which is sort of a John 3.16 and a Matthew 28 kind of ethos. Um, and when the church realizes, because I guess here, let me sort of circle around to it this way. Understanding that is one thing. What I think most Christians struggle with is trying to be the person who can deliver on it. But when they realize that their church is going to host a gathering, that if in, in some respects, all they got to do is get their friends there. All they got to do is, is is just lovingly invite and see who shows up. There, there's a and there's a lot of there's a lot of relief in that, and that's a freeing thing for many people. Um, but again, they have to have confidence in what they know they're going to bring the people to. So that's why if they have confidence in what your gathering is typically about, and now they know, but this one's going to be very much let's say Southridge in this example but it's going to be Southridge on steroids. It's just going to be wonderful. Uh, that gives people both confidence to invite, 
but that flows out of already a, a, a love for and an investment that is ongoing in the lives of people who are not about church in their life. Yeah, that's what I'm feeling or, or hearing from from this conversation and from your, your journey and your story over the years is there has to be a confidence in your church in this event and at some level a confidence in its consistency with what the, the person would get invited to in subsequent weeks. Yeah. They have to have a confidence just in the power of the person of Jesus and the message of the gospel. And they have a have to have a confidence in the surprisingly disproportionate receptivity of people in this season. If you could put those three things together on mass, you can really make the most of the Christmas season. And I hope church leaders yeah. are, are tracking with that. But, but most importantly, I hope that the members from Southridge who are listening into this conversation can kind of do an audit for ourselves as to where our confidences lie in those three aspects so that in the coming week or so, we can make the most uh, of the Christmas season here across the Niagara region uh, in our local context. So, uh, Rob, I really appreciate you sharing that that bit of your story. I know yeah. that our, well, our friendship in the, in the Global Leadership Network makes me want to have a whole other podcast just on your perspective on the church in Canada. But uh, as we wrap up, just any final thoughts or encouragements specifically to leaders or to our Southridge members on how to make the most of Christmas in a way that you guys do so well? Um, yeah, I guess, the, I guess what I would say is just without recapping that, I would say adding to that. So what we are, we're again, we're just, we're just giving great, great energy to one another to be inviters and bringers in this season. Um, the other thing that I think flows out of it. So what we want to have happen on the Christmas gatherings that we do, we just had, we just had to add a, another one. So I think we're doing six. We might have to do one more before we're all done. Um, what we're trying to do is we're trying to have an experience where they come in, where people are, they are surprised by the hope that is offered. They're surprised by how enjoyable it was. They're surprised by how it touched their heart. They're, they're actually surprised by this. And they're surprised by the, by the potential relevance of this person that they have probably dismissed for much of their life. The actual relevance that this Jesus could actually be part of their life changing. So that people leave, number one, with a bit of a, you know, uh, the paddles that, that are put to their body, their heart, their soul, like, oh my goodness, I feel like I've had a bit of a wake up experience. But then secondly, because of that, we want that to happen. And then we are, we're always clear about a very close next step because we don't want it just to be a one and done. We don't want to like, oh my goodness, you guys did such an awesome Christmas service. Oh, that was so great. Invite me back next year. We want at the service people to be invited to a follow-up experience. So what we typically will do is in January, I think this time we're starting January the 9th, we will always have a follow-up series that has high receptivity to people who are either starting again or starting for the first time. So, uh, so we're, doing, we're starting a brand new series that we will invite people to and mention it a couple of times without it sounding like it's a big sales pitch. But great clarity, like if this has really touched you and you want to take the next step, we're starting a brand new series uh, on January 9th called You in Five Years. And we're just going to be thinking about what, what, what does it look like? What, and even what would the Bible say about 
what our lives, what each one, what is your life going to look like in five years and how can it, how can it flow in a way that would be the best way? And then we're going to look at things like love and marriage and, you know, uh, dollars and cents. And we're going to look at community and family and all these different things from a biblical perspective. But the sort of secondary, what next? Boy, when you get people who have had their life sort of rattled or awakened by the Holy Spirit, we need we need something reasonably soon to say, so if you want to start the journey, here's how to take the next step. That's awesome. You've got half our church now attending your January series. So that's a, <laughs> that's a great series. I'm going to be dragging to that. So. That sounds great. Hey, uh, Rob, thanks for joining us today. And I uh, uh, really want to wish you and Kobe and, and Forest City and just your whole extended family the, the, the best Christmas season imaginable. And uh, you've been such a good friend uh, to me and to, to Southridge. We so appreciate you and are grateful that uh, you shared some of your time and story with us today. That was awesome. No, thanks, Jeff. And you and Becky, like I just, uh, I love what you guys, uh, you know, with your family and the, and what you're all doing and what you're, how you're investing in, in the Niagara region. Uh, it is a beautiful thing. And uh, I'm a fan. I really am uh, so grateful to see what you guys are doing. And I do. I really wish you and the Southridge family uh, and all the churches that you're connected to um, just, uh, just God's joy and a sense of, a sense of his uh, moving presence in our lives and in our churches in this Christmas season. Fantastic. And to all of you who are tracking with us, appreciate you giving us time again today. Uh, look for us again in seven days as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everybody.